Well, I certainly enjoyed that little story about the Talbies, but I will not be undone. <clears throat> it was a number of years ago, Brother Rigo and I were at the uh, migrant camps, and uh, I don't know if he's here tonight, oh, he's there. We were at the migrant camps, remember? And those guys kept throwing those rocks and hitting that roof, and they kept trying to interrupt us, and... I mean, to tell you, that was getting on, you know, and Brother Rigo was trying to witness to one of these fellas and kind of kind of talking to a couple of them there, and they kept throwing these rocks down. They come rolling down off that roof down onto us, and and I tell you what, Brother Rigo didn't get, he didn't like that a bit, <clears throat> and so I just kind of watched what was going on, and finally uh, those guys kind of showed up around the corner, and Brother Rigo was like telling them to not throw those rocks and quit trying to break up the message and trying to do this and do that. Man, I'll tell you what, before it was over with, I almost had to drag him off a couple guys. <laughs> Brother Rigo wasn't messing around. He's going at that dude. He's like, come on, man. I mean, it was, it was on, wasn't it, Brother Rigo? It was on, man. Those guys, dude, they got, a, they got a tiger by the tail that day, didn't they? Yeah, so he may not have, uh, you know, tracked down a couple young kids, but these were adult men, and they found out that uh, these, well, at least one of those preachers wasn't putting up with it, that's for sure. But it was kind of funny. It was a good day, and we enjoyed ourselves. We had a good time out there. I mean, I'm talking about years. I'm talking about years ago now. That's 20, it had to be, well, 15, 20 years ago at least. It was before, well, yeah, I know it had to be in the, it was in the 90s actually. So that was back whenever I was just a teenager, and Brother Rigo was still an adult, you know. But anyway, <clears throat> all right, but it had a good time. So yeah, I know a little bit about rocks on roofs too, but uh, anyway, First John chapter 2, verse 15, First John chapter 2, verse 15. 
You serve the Lord and you'll have all kind of interesting stories before it's over with. I'll guarantee you that. You'll have some stories, all right. 1 John chapter 2, 15 through 17. I think it was Mr. Niger and I were out door knocking one time. And uh, we got to talking to some fella and he was... He started listening to us, and we were just talking to him, and we was out in the driveway, and, 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 and time kind of went on, and things were going pretty good, and next thing I know, his wife came out, and she wasn't nearly as friendly. <clears throat> Matter of fact, it got to the point where she grabbed a broom and started going, get out of my driveway, get out of here, get out of here, and Mr. Uh, Mr. Uh, Niger and I, we just kind of looked at each other like, okay, lady, listen, uh, you know, all right, we felt sorry for the guy when we left, but anyway... I mean to tell you, she chased us out of the driveway, you know, with a broom. And, uh, you know, and I thought, actually, honestly, I, I thought she was going to get on it and ride away. But anyway, <clears throat> she didn't. She walked back in. She didn't ride in. But anyway, First John chapter 2, verse 15. That's, you know, it doesn't normally happen that way, but that's a good story. I don't know about you, but that's motivating to me. I like that kind of story. That's fun, you know. Somebody said, that's crazy. I, and I felt sorry for the guy, and I felt sorry for his wife, really. But uh, when you look back on it, it is kind of funny, you know, how people respond to you when you have the gospel, you know. Just, it's kind of just crazy. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. But anyway, we were, we were faster than her, so there's no problem. All right, First John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17 tonight. It says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Well, again, this passage is somewhat familiar if you've been in church a number of years. If you haven't, then it might be the first time you have ever heard it, but it really draws some real lines in the sand, doesn't it? I mean, it says right off the bat, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And it goes on to even express the fact that if you love the world, then, well, the love of the Father is not in you. That's a scary thought, isn't it? And um, I really want to get started tonight. I, I, I want to really begin a kind of a new series. And, and <clears throat> it's not really so much that um, we're going to talk specifically about this verse. We're not. Uh, but <clears throat> we're going to talk about the world and you. The world and you. The world and me. And uh, just how we relate to that. I mean, the Bible is very clear that the present world system is contrary to God's eternal purpose. There's no doubt about that. And the world system in which we live is all around us. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But it was that promise of knowledge there in the garden that caused the downfall of the human race. You know, there's the Satan and he's telling Eve, you know, hey man, you'll be like God, you know. I mean to tell you, let's face it, and again, we can go ahead and pretend all day long that we would never make the same choice that they made or that we'd be much wiser than them. But the truth is, is that there's a part of each of us that wants to be treated like a God. There really is. And you can say, no, that's not true. But I could talk to your husband or wife and I could find out that's true. You do want things to turn out well for you. You do want things to be good for you. You do want those nice things in life. And you would like people to treat you with respect. And you don't see yourself the way God sees you. And I don't see myself the way God sees me. The fact is, we deserve absolutely nothing. And we ought to be grateful for anything we get. But the truth is, we would much prefer to be treated better than we deserve. We're all that way. I'm not saying that that's all wrong either. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be shown respect. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be treated the way you ought to be treated. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But the point being is, is that when Satan in that garden turned around and, and he said, you know what, I'm going to, you know, knowledge, you know, I'm going to give you knowledge. You're going to be like gods. And boy, I tell you what, that caused them to rebel against the very God that created them. So when Adam and Eve followed Satan's advice, they literally committed the race, the human race, to the acceptance and the leadership of none other than Satan and his program. That, that's a, that was a pretty bad decision that day. And yet, let's be honest, we make the same kind of decisions from time to time. I'd like to believe and say that I never make a mistake, that I always do things God's way, that I forever am doing it just the way the Word of God describes it and defines it. But let's be honest, that's not the case, is it? You know, <clears throat> on the other, it's not likely here, as you think about the world in which we live, it's not likely that God in heaven, the holy God of all creation, 
imparted to this ungodly race the knowledge to invent the kind of things that have ultimately led to the downfall of our race. I mean, there in the Garden of Eden, I don't think that Adam and Eve had the, uh, the mindset, God gave them the mindset to destroy, to wreck, to ruin things. But with the fall came that. That's the kind of knowledge that man received that day. See, when Satan entered into the picture and when man chose to rebel against God, then he ultimately submitted to Satan. And when he did that, when, when he and she did that, guess what? They did receive knowledge. Not the right kind of knowledge. They received knowledge, ultimately, that would lead a race to a place called the flood. They received knowledge that would ultimately hurt mankind, that would enable them to invent such horrible and destructive types of instruments that would ultimately allow for World War II and Vietnam and Korea and even over there in the Middle East and now what we call terrorism today. Let me tell you something. God did not impart that kind of knowledge to man. Man received that kind of knowledge from Satan. God never intended that to be part of our humanity, part of the world in which we live. And yet it is a great part of the world in which we live because now the flesh rules and because now Satan is in charge and he is the head of this world system. That system that he is the head of is basically represented in some systems, the political system. I mean, nowadays, as we look at our polit- political system, we probably wouldn't argue a whole lot with that. We'd say, without a doubt, that's of Satan. When we look at our economic system, as crazy as it is, the fact is, <clears throat> is that Satan is in charge of that. Satan is the ruler of that. He's the God of this world, the Bible says. And that means, therefore, he's the God of the economic system. The social system. Every aspect of our society, our culture, Satan is the God of this world again. He is over that social system. And you know what? Contrary to what we may believe and understand, he is the head of the religious system. Religion sends more people to hell than anything else in the world. Satan is in charge of religion. If he can just get people to walk in the doors of Community Baptist Temple and feel like they've been slighted or feel like they've been rejected or somehow been treated unfairly, then guess what? He has a big victory on his hands. And he controls the religions of the world, including, if we're not careful, our church if we yield to him. So he's the head of this world and this world system which includes political, economic, social, religious systems. Do you know that the world system that we're talking about provides a course in which its participants travel? Take your Bible, if you would, look at Ephesians chapter 2. A course. You know, Satan's a very... uh, Satan's very wise. He understands how things work. And, you know, man was created with purpose. Women were created with purpose. When I talk about men, I'm talking about mankind. And we were created with purpose. And you know what? We, we long for purpose in our lives. And so Satan provides a system. He provides a road by which we can travel as well without God. Notice what it says in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 2. <clears throat> and you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins... Where in time past ye walked according to the what? Course of this world. Do you see that? The course of this world. There is a course in which the world travels then. There is a, there's a road which the world travels. There's a direction that the world travels then. He says, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. What do you think that is? That's not our God. It's a little G God. Satan. He rules that direction. He's the one that provides that course. And it goes on to say, The prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. By the way, his work is not finished and he is still quite active in mankind. And in what we call the world. And the world being represented by some systems. 
political, economic, social, religious. So, Satan is quite alive today. He's real, and he is very active today. And he provides a course by which those who are on his team, those who are on his side, meaning those who aren't on God's side. And by the way, you don't just decide to get on God's side. You don't just one day wake up and say, guess what I'm going to do? I'm just going to get on God's side. That's not how it works. The Bible says right there in Ephesians 2, and you hath he quickened. That means made alive. That means you were dead in trespasses and sins, and now you're alive in Jesus Christ who were dead in sins. Dead in trespasses. Now that's called salvation. We would recognize that as John chapter 3. You must be born again. We'd recognize that according to John chapter eleven twenty five. He says, you know, that he's the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. We say, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We're talking about people who have been quickened, made alive. They are on God's side. But anyone else other than them is still on Satan's side and are following the course that he sets for them. They say, no, I'm in charge of my life. I'm choosing the path I'm going to travel. I'm going the direction that I have decided on my own. No, that is not the case at all. He has a predetermined course for you. And may I say, friend, it leads to nowhere but hell. Look at you in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. This course that he sets is a broad road that leads to nowhere but destruction. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 through 14. It says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. This course that he sets, uh, it's a broad course. It's a, as he puts it here, it's a, um, a, a very broad way. And he goes on to let us know here that There's many that go that way. There's only a few. It says few go the other direction. Few follow that narrow way. The majority go the broad way. Now, that's that's the reality of of life today. The truth is, is that the majority of people will not be in heaven. The majority of people will go the other direction. They're following his course. His course. Now, we know God has a course. We know God has a direction and he has a way that he wants us to travel. But Satan has his course. He has his way too. As a result, Jesus Christ, he became our substitute in order to deliver us from the course of this evil world. I mean, you and I were all on the same course. We started off on that broad way. We all started off heading in the direction that Satan had set for us. Listen, before we get so high on our own, you know, personal horses where we think somehow that we have arrived and we're better than others and that even though at least we're not in sin like they are and at least we're not buried in rebellion like they are, let me tell you something. We all started at the same exact place. We get so haughty and we get so arrogant and we begin to find ourselves feeling like we so are so better than other people. That is so desperately wrong. That is so harmful to the cause of Christ. It is so arrogant to believe somehow that we are any better than the people we're trying to reach. Outside of the fact that we've been supernaturally born again by the blood of Jesus Christ, we are still nothing in the sight of a holy God without Jesus. 
Outside of Christ, we're nothing. And if we find our value in anything or anyone other than Jesus, we've missed the boat. And if we really find ourselves to be anything without Him in any respect of our life, well, at least I'm a good husband without Jesus? Honestly, you believe that? It's all Christ. He says what? Without me, you can do... Do we believe that? I don't think we do sometimes. I know I struggle with that. I know the verse. I can quote it, but I can't live it sometimes. I struggle with that. Do you know that I tied my shoes this morning, and to be frank with you, I don't know that I thought about Jesus. Do you know there's things I think I can do without Him, I think? I'm just saying, how little do we pray, and yet how much do we say we depend on Him? I mean, I think if our prayer life, our prayer life reflects our dependence on God. I don't know about you, but I have a lot of room for more dependence. I pray, don't misunderstand me. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But by the same token, I think I should be praying a lot more than I am probably. And I'm convicted about it, and I find myself being compelled to pray more now than probably I have maybe for quite some time. But I'll tell you this much, there's a lot of room for improvement here. And the fact that I don't pray as much as I probably ought to, or even as often as I am compelled probably, is proof positive that I don't depend on them like I should. I don't know, maybe you're in the same boat I am from time to time. Because, see, we are all flesh, and we're all the same, really, in the end. We struggle with certain things, and this flesh is the thing we struggle with the most. See, my biggest problem isn't you. My biggest problem isn't our government. My biggest problem isn't even Satan. My biggest problem is me. So that course is a broad course, yes, and it is a a course that leads to destruction. And as a result, Jesus Christ became our substitute. Galatians 1, 4 says, Who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world. That he might deliver us from this present evil world. When you got saved, did you ever think that you needed to delivered from your sin? Or just saved from it. I mean, think about this for a minute. What is it you got saved? Why did you get saved? I mean, did you get saved so that you could escape the consequences of sin? Or did you get saved so that you could escape sin in your life? What is it about the sin that bothers you the most? Is it the consequences or the fact that it mars you in the sight of holy God? What is it about our sin? No, are we really that desperately worried about our sin and how it affects our ability to fellowship and to follow the Lord Jesus Christ? Or is it just how that sin affects our life when we're paying the consequences for it? I mean, if I could go out and get drunk every night and not get cirrhosis of the liver, cool. If I could live my life the way I choose and nobody would ever find out and God wouldn't hold me accountable for it, how would I live? I'm just saying, the truth is, what really motivates our lifestyle for God? And it comes a point in a Christian's life where we have to grow up a little bit. Where we're not motivated by the fact that we're just going to lose out on a blessing. Where we're not motivated just because somehow God's going to maybe require some kind of payment in the end from us. Or we're going to fail to receive the... The, the rewards that we feel we should deserve. The fact is, is that we have to ultimately do what God says because He is God and we respect Him and honor Him as God and we don't want to hurt or harm our God in heaven. See, that's where the fear of the Lord is when you start talking about awe. And until you get to the place where you don't want to hurt or harm God, where your fear, your greatest fear on earth, is that you're going to disappoint your Savior. And guess where you still live? Your fear is still a spanking. That's your fear. Whoa. No. No. And you go, I don't want to do that because I don't want to get a spanking. 
I don't get my hand slapped by Jesus. If that's how we're still living, then we are babes still in Christ. See, you young people, you know, you're growing up, you're starting to find out who you are and you're trying to learn about yourself. And, 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 and you have, hopefully, parents and grandparents and, and relatives and loved ones that care enough about you that they're not going to permit you to go out and do whatever you want, whenever you want. And, and so there's something in the back of your mind, probably from the time you were young, that said, man, if I, I step out of line, <laughs> I'm going to get it. But sooner or later, you ought to stop functioning that way. Sooner or later, you ought to say, you know what? Mom and dad love me. Mom and dad provide for me. Mom and dad meet my needs. Mom and dad are the authority God put over me. And if I want to honor God, then I have to honor mom and dad. And the only way to honor mom and dad is to abide by their rules and obey them. And I don't want to hurt God. I don't want to break my parents' heart. I don't want to hurt them who have met my need and continually sought to provide for me and and, and give me every opportunity to succeed in life. I certainly want to... That's where you ought to be. That's where you got to get to. And until, you're, until you stop getting worried about that, you're still a babe. And unfortunately, many times we're all... We find ourselves there, don't we? He says, who gave himself for our sins, that's Jesus Christ, that he might deliver us from this present evil world. <clears throat> when you think of the world, do you think of it being presently evil? You say, oh, the world's evil. Yeah, but do you really think that? Do you believe that? How much of what goes on in the world repulses you? I mean, let's be honest. I mean, it's easy to love the world. It's what we understand. It's what we know. It's, it, 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 it looks good. And the truth is, there's a lot of things that maybe even the Bible says aren't really that good for us. And we know that that's probably not the best thing for us. But it doesn't hurt us that bad anyway. It's not that bad. We wouldn't say that to the preacher. We wouldn't say that to our Sunday school teacher. We may not even say that to our children if we're parents. But, what, but we say that in a way that we don't, we don't do that to it. We keep facing it. We don't turn our back on it. It's not so ugly to us that we can't look at it. We can't listen to it. It's not ugly enough that we have to turn from it and go, I'm, I can't look at that. I can't even look upon it. The Bible says here in Galatians 1.4, it says, He's delivered us from this present evil world. He's delivered us from it. That's interesting, isn't it? If I had a show of hands in the room, and, and you know, and again, we're just kind of getting honest, taking the gloves off and, and being real here and transparent... We're talking about the world, and in this case, he's talking about loving the world, and, and he's saying that he delivered us from the course of this, uh, he says, excuse me, he delivered us, as it says here, from this present evil world. Literally, this is where I was, and I'm, of course, you represent the world, not me. So anyway, I'm out here in the world, okay, and, and, and I'm bound by the world, I'm involved in the world, I'm focused on the world, I'm totally consumed with the world, saturated by the world. The Bible says when I got saved, He literally delivered me from this present evil world. He delivered me from it. Why is it if that's true with each of us? Are we so compelled to crawl back into it? Why do we do that? And, and every one of us do that to some degree or another in our life. If we've been delivered from this present evil world, why do we find ourselves always compelled to go back to it? That, that's a good question, isn't it? 
And many of you would say, well, I know why. And I'd say, why? And you'd say, because of this flesh. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak, preacher. And I'd say, you're right. And then we end up where? Back at the cross. And we realize that we were delivered from this present evil world. But that's not all. We also were given the Holy Ghost. We're given the power, as we said, of the resurrection within us. It's so easy to go crawling back to the present evil world. But there ought to be someone saying, stop, go back. Can I tell you, if there's no one saying, stop, go back, you're not his. You're not his. I mean, that's a scary thought. Because some of you say, well, I, I'm pretty comfortable out in sin. I'd be very concerned. I'd get a little concerned. I'd be concerned if all I cared about was that <laughs> I'm on my way to heaven. <laughs> I'm saved. <laughs> I'd be concerned about that. See, He gave Himself for our sins. That we might be delivered, that He might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. And that's why we're so emphatically admonished by the Apostle Paul to be not conformed to this world. Take your Bible, look over at Romans 12 too. I'm not sure who said it. I, I, I'm not sure if it was Brother Kavanaugh the other night, I think, with the teenagers. It was. It was the other night with the teenagers. They had just spoke, and so Brother Kavanaugh got up here and kind of wrapped it up. But he, he, he utilized the verse, and he said that he, he's really been dealing with this verse, and it's, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And that, he said that, that's been a real kind of grip in his heart lately. I would imagine that when we hear that verse, it ought to grip all of our hearts, right? Notice what he says in Romans 12, too. Now, again, we know the Apostle Paul speaking under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, the word conform, I looked it up, and again... You know, you can look it up in the Scriptures, too, and follow it through. But I did take the time to look it up in what's called a Webster's 1828 Dictionary, a real old Webster's version. Um, By the way, Webster was a Christian, and Webster's definitions ultimately are rooted in the Word of God in many cases in the 1828. Now, don't look up a present Webster Dictionary. You'll not find any similitude at all to that. But what you do find is that in that 1828, he'll utilize verses themselves to kind of you know, when he, he makes the definition, he points to the verse that's being used for that purpose. To say, see, that's how it's used. Now, he says conform means made to resemble. Assuming the same form. Like. Like. He goes on to say, more generally speaking, to reduce to a likeness or correspondence in manners... Opinions or moral qualities. That's pretty interesting. I mean, we're talking about being conformed. Here in the passage, I mean, it's obvious that God would not have us to be like the world then. He says, be not conformed to this world. So I guess what he's saying is, I don't want you to resemble them in your manners, in your opinions in your moral 
qualities. It shouldn't resemble the world in any way. That you, Your manners should be different than the world. Your opinions should be different. Your moral qualities ought to be different. Wow, that's pretty... That's interesting, isn't it? How many people have you spoke to that profess Christianity, but their manners are like the world's? Their opinions reflect or mirror the world's. I mean, their moral qualities mirror the world. Well, the Bible says that we're warned not to do that. To be not conformed to the world. See, we've been delivered out of this present evil world. And so now he says, I don't want you to conform in any way to it. I don't want you to look like it. I don't want you to act like it. I don't want you to think like it. I don't want you to resemble it in any way. Wow, that's a tall order. We are not to be conformed to this world. On the other hand, though, we are to be conformed to someone. And that someone's Jesus Christ. Take your Bible, look at Romans 8, 29. So he delivers us out of this present evil world. And then he says, now listen, don't be conformed to the world. Now remember, the world is represented by some systems. Political system, economic system, social system, religious systems. And may I say, those systems are diametrically opposed. Not in and of themselves, but they're, 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 they're... their, their leader, if you will, who is Satan, has predetermined that they will go contrary to the Word of God ultimately. You have to be careful. You have to be careful because when you start looking at the world system, when you start considering the world itself, it's more than just being moral or immoral. It's a way of thinking. It's a mindset. It's a worldview. And that worldview for us ought to be found in the Word of God. It shouldn't be found in what the world says is a value or important. It should be found in what God says is important and valuable. See, you don't have to go out and cheat on your wife. You don't have to be immoral and a whoremonger. You don't have to be some kind of low-down prostitute. You don't have to do something that is wicked and wretched and sinful in the sight of all humanity in order to follow the world's course. You could just put something above what he says is valuable and important. Think about it for a minute. What Have you ever violated Scripture that isn't big Scripture? You know what we've done, really? We've walked... The wrong course, and we have conformed to the world. That's really what we've done. We've conformed. We became like. Notice what he says here in Romans, uh, excuse me, over in uh, the book of Romans 8, 29. For whom he did foreknow, that's a good point right there. Isn't that interesting? He foreknew you. Do you know that he knew that you would put your faith in Christ? That's interesting, isn't it? By the way, according to Ephesians 1, he chose you in Christ Jesus. He didn't choose you because you were special. Listen to what I'm telling you. You aren't no better, no different than anybody else. Somebody that believes in what's called Calvinism, that's truly a five-point Calvinist, is out of his mind. Because what he's basically or she's basically saying is this. God chose me over that one. I get to go to heaven because God's grace. They get to go to hell because God chose them to go to hell. You know how prideful that can be? Look at me, man. I'm all about me and God. Let me tell you something. It's whosoever will. You know what it requires? Your will. You got a will to want to be a part of the family of God. 
you got to will to trust and receive Christ. Someone says, it's not of works. I understand that. But I'll tell you one, God's not going to force his work on you either. You have to willingly accept Christ. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate or predetermine to what? Be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Notice, our, we are to be conformed, just not to the world. We're to be conformed to the image of his son. That's, that's interesting, isn't it? So what does he, what's he really saying then? He's saying that we ought to resemble Jesus then. We ought, to, we ought to adopt his manners. We ought to adopt his opinions. We ought to adopt his moral qualities. So I'm, I, I'm, I'm saved out of this present evil world. And I'm not to go back to it. I'm to not be conformed to the world. I'm to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Now, we have a saying, and, and, and I'm almost done with this. More is caught than taught. Huh. Well, you know what? There's a lot of truth to that, isn't there? And, you know, a lot of times we, we use that in a kind of a positive text. We'll say, more is caught than taught, and, and you've got to be showing it and living it. It's not enough to talk about it. You've got to be that, and then people will catch it. And you know what? That's true. Man, that's spot on. But wait, it works this way too, though. Let me just throw it out there this way. I kind of throw a little twist on it. What do we see more of as we live in this life? The world or the Word? Think about that for a minute. What do you see as, we live, as you live your life? What do you see and hear more of? The world or the Word? You know what? There's not one of us in this room that probably wouldn't say the world, if you're honest. Hey, everywhere I go, the world is out there. Everywhere I go, I hear the world. Everywhere I go, I see the world. I can't go to the mall. can't go to the store. can't, can't go anywhere without seeing and hearing the world. You're driving down the road and somebody cuts somebody off and somebody's making gestures out the window. The world. Somebody's yelling and screaming cuss words or being negative and critical of other people. We hear people putting others down. You can't even look at the news without being discouraged and depressed and just totally frustrated with what's going on around you. The world. But I spend ten minutes in Bible reading and prayer every day, preacher. I spend twenty minutes in Bible reading and prayer every day, preacher. I spend one hour a day in Bible study and prayer, preacher. Okay, which do you see and hear more of? Do you really think that in your own strength, my own strength, we can overcome that? We're not going to ever overcome the world. We can't do it. We see too much of it. We hear too much of it. More is caught than taught. I mean, what do we know more about from birth? The world? Or the word. I grew up in the world. It's all I knew. Didn't you grow up that way? Someone says, I grew up in a Christian home. I know. How often was the world still there? And I'm not talking about... See, you know, the, the, the misconception of the world is that it's so wicked all the time in the sense that it presents itself wicked. That, that it's, it's always got to be something immoral. It's always got to be something big and wicked and sinful and disgustingly grotesque. How many times growing up did you learn that church wasn't the most important thing in your home? Because that's not where you went on Wednesday night or Sunday night or Sunday morning even. Or when this happened or this happened, it was okay just to dismiss it. That's the world. That's the world. How many times did you uh, realize, I mean, at what point was the word the one that was always elevated, always lifted up? Of course not. That would be a rare home indeed. 
to where this was lifted up more than the world. I don't know of any home where we read the Bible eight hours a day. Yet we go off to work eight hours a day in the world. I'm just saying, think about the influence that the world has in our life. From the time we were born to the time now, it's the world. It's always in our face. It's always in our ears. It's continually influencing us, constantly influencing us, bombarding us. Wow. So, if that is the case, and it is, how important then is church? How important is our Bible reading? How important is our prayer time? How important is fellowshipping with the saints in this life in which we live now as those that have been delivered from this present evil world and are not to be conformed to the world but be conformed to the image of His Son? How important is this book we call the Bible? And how important is the Word of God being presented to us and shared with us from the pulpit and in our classrooms? How important is it? after being bombarded and totally saturated with and consumed with the world, in and out, hour after hour, week after week, year after year, how, more, how, much, how important are those things in our life today? And if we're not careful, we can dismiss them. I mean, I'm, I'm not an immoral person. I'm not a bad person. I'm not a wicked person. That's debatable based on who's judging. But even if you are not all those things, are you ever critical, cynical? Are you ever unforgiving? Are you ever um, bitter? Are you ever discontented? That's the world. That's the course of the world. So, Satan is extremely deceptive, right? And we've got to close this down. But he's deceptive for the lost and the saved. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, In whom the God of this world hath, watch this, blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Today in the office, I sat in the office with my hands over my head like this. I opened my eyes. You know what I see? Darkness. And I just sat there for a while with my hands over my eyes and I thought to myself, that's exactly what Satan wants to do to the believer. Blind the believer to God's truth, his person. Blind him. Blind her. He does that to the world. They can't see who Christ really is. They're literally blinded. It's total pitch blackness, spiritually speaking. They see nothing. Darkness. And then we get saved and we're introduced to the light. But if we're not careful, even though we've been delivered from this present evil world, even though we're being admonished to be conformed to the image of His dear Son and not to be conformed to the world that we now have been delivered from, if we're not careful, we give Him liberty to blind us again. So the Bible commands God's children to be separate from the world system. And then, on the other hand, though, He tells us, to reach lost men and women who live in it for Jesus Christ. So separate from the world, but then go in it and win them out of it. Wow. How tough is that for us? When this flesh is so comfortable in the world. That's hard to do sometimes. And so, we have to rely on a supernatural power. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. The moment we fail to, to depend on him, the moment we fail to truly rest our case on him, 
The moment we somehow feel that we are safe in that world and have yet cried out for deliverance and fulfilling, as the song said this afternoon, this evening, the moment we do that, it is without doubt a moment that we start taking another step on the course of this world. I'm telling you, you got to stay out of it. And I do too. And we're never going to be able to do it in our own strength. Because what we know best is the world. And we spend the rest of our days getting to know Him. That's why it's important that we spend our days getting to know Him. Because if we spend our time getting to know anything or anyone else but Him, be careful. It's more than likely the course of this world. Again, we can go ahead, you can debate it all day long. You can go ahead and say that's not the case. And you've got to say, well, I've got to be in the world. I just can't be of it. And that is spot on. Now, make sure that's the case. Let's stop talking about it. Let's do it then. A lot easier said than done. And so, over the next few weeks, I want to consider how to balance these objectives successfully. Reaching out to a world that's lost and not being influenced negatively by that world that we're reaching out to. And so we're going to consider some thoughts over the next few weeks and see if we can't learn something. And something that will help us and encourage us to grow in Christ and be what we ought to be for Him. Father, we come to You. We thank You again for this time we've had together. And we just pray, Lord, You'd be glorified in it. And Lord, again, bless Your people.